Aunt Martha told me. So I know it's true. She's really smart. And everything she tells me, I trust. My brother-in-law, who's a nuclear physicist, told me. He's really smart. On my Facebook page, at least 40 people have sent me this link. And now I've seen it enough, it makes sense to me. I know, it's true. I'm sure, wait. And I also read it in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. (laughs) Fake news? Real news? How do we know what's a real story? How do we know? We're going to continue on our project, this Advent project, of putting ourselves back in the first century. So Steve Witt, if you'll turn the lights off, it'll only give us a taste of those who gathered 2,000 years ago to be together and hear stories. So I've handed you uh, on this blue paper Uh, This is the first two chapters in Luke, and I have prepared them specially for you. You'll notice I've highlighted some words, and I've put some words in bold. So let's set aside the notion that a group of people 2,000 years ago were stupid, superstitious, less Modern in the sense of being human beings, trying to sort out what it means to have a family, live a life, uh, survive, and survive within a group and survive within a nation. We share with them so many things. They had the same feelings. They had uh, astonishingly similar struggles. Looked different, but... And they, too, would wonder so... Is this story something that I should pay attention to? Is this real news or fake news? So we're going to talk about, we've talked before, that there are two very different Christmas stories. There's a story in Matthew and this story in Luke, which is four times longer than the one in Matthew. And this is the one with all of the the majesty of angels and visions and you may not know how it starts because that's not the part we often read. So this very first paragraph is what is often used as a device to say, this is important, true news. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events, so other people have been telling the same story, But I want you to know this version is the one I want you to pay attention to. And it's addressed to someone. It's addressed to Theophilus, which scholars debate whether Theophilus is a real person or a title. Theo, the, the knowledge of God. Theophilus, a Latinate name, which is not uncommon for us to say, Well, this story came from 
someone that we all revere, and so we know it's it's got some validity, whether it's factually true or or the metaphors are true for us in this day. So the congregation, us, in the first century, we're a little worried about how long it's going to go on because this is approaching the shortest day of the year and we want to make sure we're going to get home in time before it's dark. We're grateful for light, for the sunlight, but we don't know how long it will last. And we're being told a story that we're told is true because Theophilus. This is through Theophilus. And so then the story goes on, the real story, in the days of King Herod of Judea. And you've heard it. You heard a piece of it read. And what I want us to become is familiar with what it means to be a one first century Jew. We're a Jewish bunch today. And there are words and phrases and names that are so familiar to us and that have meaning that those of us, okay, now in the 21st century, uh, have taken on a whole different meaning. So we're going to try and dig our way back to what is in this story that you might have heard. So the first is the angel. You heard the angel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move because I have things I want to read to you from, from Roman times. Another person you would trust, a news source that you would understand in this story is the teller of the real story are the angels. So in the version I've given you, what the angels say is put in bold. And if we merely read what the angels says, Gabriel and then later on to Mary, you would know the whole story. In effect, it is a summation. This is the part that's true. This is what you need to remember. So as first century Jews, you would go, ha, I'm going to pay attention to what the angel's saying because I know that's where the, the real meat and dirt is, right there. It's not a Christian. Throughout this whole talk, we have the, the it, we bring our, our, our Christian trained ears, whether you identify as Christian or not. We've all been trained in this culture to hear through Christian ears that angels are some miraculous um, thing. And what they are are the announcers. They are the real news, not the fake news. And I want us to approach this story. So if Matthew is short and pretty concise and doesn't have mangers and stars and has um, magi but not kings coming to visit Jesus, I'd like for us to bring to this story today the notion that this is like opera. This is more like opera. There are tropes and things that are familiar that you'll know. And it's a spectacle. Because because it's first century and you've got to get home and I have your attention just for a brief while, so I'm going to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell it in a way that is so magical and unforgettable 
So if you'll turn through your pages, you'll notice that there are things indented and italicized. Because in telling this story to the first century, the Magnificat, Mary is singing. She breaks into song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. So this is a telling that includes music, angels, and you're mesmerized because it takes you out of your daily life and we're all here together and it's all familiar and it's not. It's comforting and it's upsetting. So, as first century Jews, I won't test you, but you know your Torah backwards and forwards. So you're already deeply familiar with the imagery of light. And you're well aware of that imagery of light because of the season as well, that light is coming and going whether you understand it or not, in our bones, in our body, we, we respond to the waning daylight the same way all the plants and all the other animals do too. As you know, scientists say we've been disrupting that pattern with our artificial light, and we still don't know all the ways that disrupts us. But as first century Jews, you are clued into light, and whether you have enough oil in your home to light your lamps tonight and whether you have enough oil to last and because we're Jews we'd be aware of the story of the Maccabees and we'd be paying attention to the miracle of oil that lasted eight days at Hanukkah so this word light shows up in this story over and over again I couldn't I highlighted light but I also want you to know that light, as first century Jews, you are also part of this Roman extended state, is used for the imperial theology. I'm going to tell you about the birth of Augustus, born Octavia. He is conceived by the god Apollo in his human mother, Atia, and he was the Listen to this. He was the son of God. Augustus was the son of God by Apollo. And Apollo was the god of light. As well as order and reason. So as first century Romans... You are well aware of light, meaning someone who is extraordinary, who is leading you out of political and social darkness. It may be done a bit brutally, but that's the, how the story goes from the Roman Empire. Be grateful that Augustus is leading you out of the darkness. And in the archetypal Jewish language, they are 
thinking of the Messiah, but it's only much later that Christians say, oh yes, that ancient teaching about wanting a Messiah was waiting for Christ. At this point, we're aware that someone may be coming, but Jesus is not that person. We're just aware that change can happen. We want it to happen, and it might happen through someone in cahoots with our God. So throughout the Torah, it talks about the Messiah coming as the dawn from on high that gives light to those who sit in darkness. Let's talk about the word Savior, another word that has been evolving through Christianity. But again, as first century Jews, what we hear is not so much someone who is atoned for our sins and is going to save us. But for, again, we know our Torah back and forth, and we know the book of the, prof- the prophets, And all of those leaders were saviors in the sense of delivering us out of slavery. So there are much more political leaders leading us to a different land, leading us to a different governance. It's a different kind of savior. So when they hear words like savior and messiah, That's what they're hearing. They're hearing more about deliverance and rescue and liberation, protection, healing, being made whole. I've highlighted, when I was in seminary, I really struggled with my my uh, teachers as well as my fellow students who primarily came out of the black church, the African-American church, and the word Lord to them has a deep in their bones resonance as someone who will deliver them. And to me, Lord means hierarchy and patriarchy and, you know, I'm a girl of the 60s and 70s and no Lord is going to tell me what to say and think and where and how to live my life. You know, I have to watch Downton Abbey to be reminded what it means to live in a society that is so stratified or actually to see more clearly the stratifications in my own culture. But the word Lord resonates with me in that, whoa, please. But again, we're first century Roman Jews today. And Lord is used a lot. Again, it's it's familiar, it's like Savior. In the Roman imperial theology, the emperor is called Lord. So this, that uses all that same empire language, but it's describing this child, it's familiar, 
And I've heard it before, but it's somehow different. And even the birth of Caesar Augustus was considered, they used the word, the Greek word gospel, good news. So all the, all the language that we consider Christian is not. It's deeply embedded in our psyche as first century Jews. The other piece in this, you know, we have those shepherds who come. So to signal to us that this baby, and we're using all these imperial words now with this baby that we've used with Caesar Augustus, it's the shepherds who come. And that signals to us, oh, oh, those among us who have the very least, who are out in the elements watching wild stock, watching their livestock, they're the ones participating in this story. They're the ones who are going to hear what this child is bringing, this change. And this is not sounding quite so imperial and um, gilded as all the other emperor stories that use Lord and Light. And yes, the piece of Jesus' story that comes to us that remains true is this notion that this baby brought peace. And we've talked about this before, but I'll repeat it. And that is the Roman notion of peace, that Caesar Augustus, who was the light and the emperor and the Lord, what he brought was Pax Romana, which is conquering and bureaucracy so that we all can live together. And this story in Luke is signaling no, no, no. We're talking about a very different kind of peace. We want us all to be able to imagine that there are different ways for us to be together. So we are hearing a story that is subversive and deeply threatening to the Roman Empire. Let me read what I wanted to sit back, stand back here and read was how there was a description of a Roman general And this is the description of the peace that this Roman general will bring at the same era that we are listening. Robbers of the world, now that the earth falls, they're all devastating hands. They probe even the sea. He's describing a a battle. If their enemy have wealth, they have greed. If he be poor, they are ambitious. East nor west has, has glutted them, alone of mankind, They covet with the same passion, want poor lands as much as wealth, to plunder, butcher, steal. These things they misname empire. They make a desert and call it peace. So that's a historian's description of the Roman notion of peace. But the angels are proclaiming a different kind of peace. Peace based on 
people getting along, taking care of the shepherds. Later on in the story of Luke, he summarizes what this peace really is. Good news to the poor. Release to the captives. Sight to the blind. And the oppressed go free. So I called this sermon Slowing Down because I named it back in Thanksgiving and hoped, okay, I hope we can begin to slow down. But I also think the message in Luke and the peace that Jesus' birth and that we're trying to recapture is this peace of slowing down, not conquering, listening to each other. As Bart says, being open with our ears and having our lips speak only what the angels say. The real news. The news that it is possible for us to live together in a way that's different. And so that's the fundamental message that we can now reintegrate our first century selves with our 21st century selves. Whether you think the United States is imperial in its behavior or not, the notion that we as a people and we as a nation can treat each other in ways that don't require war and oppression is the vision that we always hold out in front of ourselves and have to remind ourselves what that looks like. I struggle these days with it. it is work that you do inside yourself. It's work you do with each word you say to each person you run into daily and it's also work we do as a community and as a group out in the world. It's a both and. So may we be the bringers of peace and hear the message that the first century Romans heard so clearly. May it be so. We can have light. Let there be light. We give away our plate, and um, this is the last Sunday to give to therapeutics. Give generously. <laughs>